Let's pray. And you can be seated, please. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the blessings you've given us, and we pray that you would be honored and glorified this morning. And it's by your holy name that we ask these things. Amen. Well, first things first, uh, I'm, I was asked to ask, if anybody doesn't have a Bible, please raise your hand, and we have somebody that will put one in it. I learned that from Doug. Um, anybody need a Bible, just raise your hand, and, and we got folks back there to put it in there. Today, if you look at uh, the front of your bulletin, it has <clears throat> a verse from 1 Samuel 16. I'm going to read that. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or in the, on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks at, on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so today's uh, topic or discussion is out of John 4, and we're going to be talking about how God seeks sinners' hearts. And there's no, there's no trick question, there's no uh, punchline, but that's, that's what we're going to see as we discuss uh, this passage today. We're going to see how God seeks sinners' hearts and how he sees the heart. Man looks at appearance, but God sees the heart. And, and so we ask, what is Jesus truly after? And again, he says he's after our hearts. So if you have, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at... Um, Thank you, Mr. Abney, for reading uh, John chapter 4. We're going to turn to 2 Kings in chapter 17. That's towards the front of your Bible. 2 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 24. And the reason we're going to do that is so that we can look at uh, the history behind how this story is set up. And we're going to see <clears throat> a, couple of, a couple of slides in, in just a minute that are going to help, help put this together. But 2 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 24, it says, And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Cuthah, Avah, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. They took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So the king of Assyria was told, The nations that you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of God, the law of the God of the land. Now keep in mind, if you're reading along with me, it's a little g. The, little God, the, the law of the God of the land. Little g. Therefore he has sent lions among them, and behold, they are killing them. Because they do not know the law of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, Send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there, and let him go and dwell there, and teach them the law of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel, and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Verse 29, But every nation still made gods of its own, and put them in its shrines of the high places that the Samaritans had made. Every nation in the cities in which they lived. The men of Babylon made Sakoth Benoth. The men of Kuth made Nergal. The men of Hamath made Ashima. And the Avites made Nibaz and Tartak. And the Sepharvites burned their children in the fire to Adramalek and Anamalek, the gods of Sepharvaim. 
They also feared the Lord and appointed from among themselves all sorts of peoples as priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in shrines of the high places. So they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods in the manner of the nations from whom they had been carried away. Now, the good news is, folks, we don't have to remember the names of all those little G-gods, all right? That was a lot of them. It's a big list. And if, we're gonna, if we could put up that first slide, we're going to take a look at some of the history behind this. So <clears throat> Assyria came through, and, and they came, and they took over Israel and Judah, right? And so we're starting to see this exile. So the king of Assyria exiled everyone and then eventually sent back one priest, okay? And so as, as that nation um, went through, they, they decided that it was going to be the reason the lions were there because of the god of the land, the little g god of the land. They thought it was a, a small god, one that only resided in that area and that they had to worship him also so that the lions would stop eating him. But <clears throat> they kept worshiping their own gods too. And that becomes important because as, as it goes, and if we, if, uh, before, we, before we change slides, hold on, go back one second. Um, in Shechem right here, Shechem, which you'll remember, that's where Abraham uh, built an altar. That's where Jacob built an altar. And then eventually, and when we get to John 4 in just a second, we're going to see that Sychar, or Sychar, is Shechem. The place that's happening in John chapter 4 is at this place. So an, Israel, an Israelite priest that gets invited back and teaches the land would have told them the history of that land, the history of Abraham sacrificing there, Jacob sacrificing there, and the history would have been uh, what, drew, what drove them to think that they, because they were in that area, could be part of God's people. Let's change slides for a second, and we'll see. <clears throat> it's not exactly the same, but you can see how Samaria took over the whole area, right? And Shechem, which is, which is also called Sychar, in uh, John chapter 4, that's where, this, that's where this story is going to take place. That's the land, that's the area where Jacob's well, and it's not noted in the Bible, but it, historically that's where Jacob's well would have been, the well of living water, the well that replenished itself um, with the spring. And so that becomes important. But to understand the history is to say this area that worshipped a bunch of other gods and then added the Israelite gods so they'd stop getting eaten by lions... Um, and then taking the history, and because they were in the area, they thought they had it together. Sometimes I think we think we have it together, and we add our things to all this stuff because we think God needs this and God needs that. But just think about that as we're going through. But in the, in the history part and in the context um, of one of the commentaries on this, they called them mongrel Jews, Mongrel Jews, because they thought they believed in the God of Israel, but they had all these other gods. I mean, they were sacrificing their children in the fire, which is just crazy. But they had, they had this view of the people in Samaria as mongrel Jews, so they thought they were worshiping God when they really weren't. And so Israel, who was kicked out of that area, except for the one priest, right, they were totally kicked out by the, by the Assyrians, are going to look at these people in this land and say, that was our land. That was the land that God promised to us. Now, they weren't faithful, which is why they got kicked out, but they would be so frustrated, not only to be kicked out of their own land, 
but also to have their religion uh, tainted by all these other little gods that they wanted to worship. It, so much so that <clears throat> in that area, in I think it's called Gerizim, is where uh, Sandoval built a temple in that area to try to mirror the temple of Jerusalem on a high hill in that place near Jacob's well. And that's going to be important as we, as we read later. So think of the history behind why the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other so much. They, they took the land, they took their religion, they took their God and just obliterated it and they, they, made, they did what they wanted to do. And so I think even sometimes for us, we may have differences with people, with different pe- people that de- speak different languages, that are a different race, that are, grew up in a, in a different neighborhood than us, went to a different school than us, had, had more privileges than us, or didn't have as many privileges as us. And so we see the same fight today. I don't want you to miss this as just a history lesson. This is what God is showing us in his word today. And what's crazy is how Jesus handles that situation. And that's what we're going to look at in John chapter 4. So look, open up your Bibles to John chapter 4. Uh, it's far to the right from where we were in 2 Kings. And we're going to look at, at the woman um, from Samaria at the well. <clears throat> in verse 6 it says, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So the scene is, Jesus has been walking all day, and he's tired and probably needs a drink. And the woman at the well could tell that he was Jewish. And we're going to get into that in a second. But it says it was about the sixth hour. Now the reason that's important is because the sixth hour would have been around noon, the middle of the day, and normal uh, women didn't go in the middle of the day to draw water. They would go in the morning and in the evening to draw water, but they wouldn't go in the middle of the day, and the reason that this woman wouldn't go to the middle of the day is revealed to us later, but she would have been mocked and condemned by the people that would have been at the well in the morning and the evening. <clears throat> but Christ says, a, a woman from Samaria came to draw some water, and Jesus said, give me a drink, for his disciple has gone away to the city to buy food. So we see him in, in light of this national and religious struggle, we see him humble himself and say, can I have a drink? From somebody that most Jews would, would pride themselves on not talking to. Now, let, alone, let alone a man, but a woman even, saying, I, I'm not going to talk to the Samaritan because they, are, they, you know, they, they, kicked, they exiled us, they took our religion, they took our God, and, and they just decimated it. And so we start to see a little bit of the history and why she says, and it says, for the disciples have gone away, but the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? A woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So hopefully you can understand now why it says that. Why it says that they had such angst towards each other. And, and it goes on and he says, if you knew the gift of God, who it, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And so what we see is he literally takes this conversation and turns it into an action of repentance, right? He humbles himself, he empties himself, like it says in in Philippians um, 
chapter 2, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought he was, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbles himself and directs the conversation back to God. That is clearly what repentance means. That is the definition of repentance. So in the middle of his conversation, he takes the, the action of the conversation and turns it into repentance. Blows my mind. But let's not, let's not stop there. <clears throat> this, is, this is, and I called it verbal judo for the karate body in the audience. Some of you will get that. Some of you won't. But his verbal judo turns this conversation into repentance. And our history sometimes gets, gets in our own way. But God is righteous. He is concerned about her heart. He's not concerned about where she's from. He's not concerned about the religion that they think that they follow or believe that they have access to because of where they live and because of the one priest that was planted back, uh, back in the day. So as, as, the conver- uh, as the conversation goes on, she, she looks at it and says, you have nothing to draw water with. Are you greater than our father Jacob? This is almost fueling the fire, right? She's saying our father, like she has access at, just like the Jews do to that. So she's, you know, like pointing, like poking at him in a sense. And what does he do? He continues to completely ignore the national argument, the religious argument, and he just turns it back to God. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up with eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Well, that spring, as I said, is known for refilling itself, refreshing itself with water. So he's taking the literal spring that's at the well of Jacob, the history deep there, and saying he has the living water. Moving on, it says, Jesus tells her, uh, and that's, that's... a whole other sermon, I'm sure, for the spring, the spring of living water. But for time's sake, we're going to pass through that really quick. Moving on, it says, Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now there's a lot going on there. But the first part of that is, he says, go call your husband. He is convicting her of her own sin. But what does she say? She tries to cover it up. She said, I have no husband. She didn't say, I'm an adulterous woman. I've had five husbands. The guy that I'm living with right now isn't really my husband. No, she said, I have no husband, which helps sets up what Jesus does. He doesn't allow her to stay there. He 
tells her what she did so that he can help her be convicted of her sin. So, so God is not interested in just uh, letting you kind of justify or you know, use, use words to paint it away. He's concerned about her heart, so he says, he tells her what she's done. That intrigues her because never, she's never met him before. He's a Jew, shouldn't be talking to her. We've already gone through some of this history. She says <clears throat> she wants to change the subject. She immediately, even though she's convicted by Jesus, wants to change the subject, right? Because she feels convicted and that like awkward, you know, what do I do with this moment? And she says, but I perceive you're a prophet. And then she goes back into the religious story of our fathers worshiped on this mountain, i.e. the temple and what we talked about. And you say that it is in Jerusalem that people ought to worship. And so in truth and love, he addresses her. Um, but what we see is that even though, and, and just like in John 8, and I'm sure we're going to go through that someday, where he says, Who, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone to the adulterous woman that was caught. He condemns the sin, but he doesn't condemn the person. And so when we see these things, as we're, as we're going about our lives and the way God treated me was, he saw my sin, but he didn't condemn me. He came after me and came after my heart. He comes after this woman's heart and convicts her of her sin. <clears throat> doesn't say it's okay, but he seeks her heart. So they get into the, she tries to change the subject to religion. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And again, she's referring to Abraham and Jacob building altars there, how they would have had an altar there. But the people of the land worshipped God as a small God, a small G God um, in that local area. They blended their beliefs um, with the teaching of the Jewish priests. They believed that they had inheritance based on what they had lived, not, not because they're actually part of Israel. But Jesus doesn't get distracted by the details of this conversation. He overlooks that argument and says, the hour is coming and is here now. So salvation is here now. So there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot going on. He tells her he's the Messiah. She knows of Messiah because of the Jewish teachings and the teachings of Israel. She knows she brings it up. He doesn't even have to bring it up. I mean, that's awesome how God works all this together. But he's saying salvation is here now. His name was salvation. <laughs> he's like, Jesus is here now because Jesus also means our Yeshua, right? Means salvation. And she's not, she's not picking that up right away. And we don't pick that up right away either. Jesus is here now. He's there. He's met us at the well. He's here now to meet us and to, and to turn our hearts back to him. And so uh, she goes, she says, um, or he says, I am, I am who, or I who speak to you am he. So he reveals to her that he's Messiah. That's kind of a big deal. But what he says is that when he, when he addresses the issue with the religious part, he says, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Now we have to be really careful because we think, oh, well, it's just a place. But if we didn't understand that they had literally built their own temple, and in, in, in Luke it says the Samaritans wouldn't um, accept Jesus because his face was turned towards Jerusalem because he was going to go to the temple. But we see that they're talking about, well, our temple is better than your temple. And we see this in the body of Christ all the time. Our church is better than your church. Well, you don't have this sticker. I don't have this logo. I don't have this website. I don't have blah, 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 blah. 
And none of that matters. He flattens both temples and says, true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. One body. One body. Not a place, not a building, one body. Because he doesn't need any of that. And he tells us that right here. He says, I don't, he's not worried about the, the Samaritan temple. He's not worried about the temple of Jerusalem. Uh, Pastor Doug read last week, John 2.19, destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. Was that because he, had, he was the best uh, builder? Yes, he was, because he created everything. It's a trick question. But <laughs> it's because he died and rose again and rebuilt the temple in us. And we don't want to miss that. So folks, I love Cornerstone. I love this body. We are part of a bigger body. We are one body, one church. And I don't want you to miss that point. That's what Jesus is telling us as he's saying, true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. It goes on. <clears throat> Just then his disciples come back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Already one who reaps is receiving wages, gathering fruit for eternal life, and the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I send you to reap that for which you do not know, that for which you do not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me every, all that I ever did. So the Samaritans came to him. They asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And more believed because of his word. Now, <clears throat> I read a lot, but we're going to unpack um, pieces of that at a time. The disciples were, were distracted. They were distracted because they went to go buy food. Then they come back and they're like, well, we bought this food, Jesus. Please eat. We, no, this is, you know, we went, we, we got the food. I'm glad you're, okay, you're talking to that lady. We're not going to interrupt you, but please, please eat. <clears throat> and he says, my food is the, to do the will of him who sent me. So he's wearied. He hasn't yet got water. He hasn't yet got food, but he is full because he is doing God's will. Then he says, lift up your eyes. Oh, this is, this is. This burns, this burns in my heart, and we'll get there in a minute. It says, white for the harvest. Four months until the actual harvest. Jewish tradition allows them to wear uh, different robes. White is compared in Isaiah where it says, sins are washed white as snow, and it also means purity. The specific robe that it seems that they would be wearing is called a kittle. If I messed up how to say that, forgive me, because we're in the business of forgiveness. But it's a white garment, a linen white garment that's used for burial. Men wore them during Passover and the high holidays, and they're worn to show equality in death. Everyone is equal when we die. And that's what they would be buried in, but they would wear them on high holidays. So literally and figuratively, it was white for the harvest. The woman at the well is convicted of her sin. Come and see, is this the Christ? He told me everything that I did. And so what do they do? Because they're mongrel Jews, they're like, well, Jewish time, let's throw on our white garments. Let's put on our kittle which doesn't have pockets because you're not taking anything with you when you go. And we're going to be 
uh, sinless and, and present ourselves to this guy in case he's the Messiah. So as it says, the, the Samaritans came from the town to where Jesus was. He says, lift up your eyes, disciples. It is white for the harvest. People are wearing white. The men are wearing white, coming to Jesus, coming out to him. And he's saying, lift up your eyes. It is white for the harvest. Right? The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. He's literally telling them to look up. This isn't, this isn't some faraway uh, you know, spiritual lesson. He's like, no, I, I just want you to look up because it's white <laughs> for the harvest right here. He's telling us it's white for the harvest. And this is the same, uh, interestingly enough, uh, we find it, as I, as I just mentioned, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's Luke chapter 10. This is the same chapter that Luke sends out the 72 and they return. It's the same chapter in Luke where it talks about the parable of the Good Samaritan. So think about this. The 12 most intimate disciples Jesus had passed by this woman at, on the way to the well or at the well to go buy food. And then later we hear the story of Jesus telling them, I want to tell you about the parable, a parable. The priest walks by, the, uh, the Israelite walks by, and yet it's the good Samaritan who stops to help the guy who's robbed. So they had already seen a picture of this. Imagine how white hot their hearts must have been when they heard him tell that parable. Oh. I get it. <laughs> I remember that lady. <laughs> okay, you got me. Right? They lived that already. So he's not, just, he's not just talking to them about things that they wouldn't understand. They'd already been through that and they would have, their hearts would, my heart burns white hot as I'm reading this right now. <clears throat> and then the Jewish, you know, the Jewish lawyer is, is told the parable of the Good Samaritan. When our group goes to Mexico, um, and I'm going to plug Mexico real fast because that's uh, where we're at. But when our group goes to Mexico, all the men, and we even had this discussion on this last trip where the six men went down to help uh, support Camillo. We asked ourselves, why is it that when we go to Mexico, we don't have a problem asking every single person that we see, how can I pray for you? But then when I come back to America, I have a problem asking every person I see, how can I pray for you? Why is that? Is that because I don't think I'm going to see them again? Is it because, well, that's what we're there to do? And so we had that discussion, and, and honestly, I mean, it, it broke me a little bit in the, in the middle of that, as, as God and Christ continues to do, but it helped me understand that no matter where we are, if you're in Mexico, if you're in China, if you're in Flagstaff, we have to have our eyes open so that we don't walk by the woman at the well, so we don't walk by the person who got robbed, and we're like, no. We don't talk to Samaritans because we're Jews, right? No, we look and see that the people that God has put in our path. Now, they're not always people of peace, and I'm not, we're not, we don't have time for that. But the, the idea is that our eyes have to be open, that this mission that he has us on, right? Because if we survive the day at the cross, like the thief that was next to Jesus, we are called to do works that he's prepared beforehand for us. Not that that's going to save us, but he's prepared these things for us. And so we have to see the people that God has put in our lives. And, and one of the things was, well, 
even if somebody in Mexico rejects me, I might not see them again. But you might. <laughs> or you might not. And even though my neighbor might reject me, I might not see them again. Or I might. And I hope I do. I hope I see these folks in heaven. That's my hope. Is that I can ask somebody how to pray for them and that thou will see them in heaven someday. I pray that they know Jesus. Just like the word says, God uh, wants everybody to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We know that's not going to happen, but that's what he's, his desire is. It tells us that in Timothy. And so Jesus sat down next to me and asked me for a drink. He asked me because I was the woman at the well, figuratively. I'm the sinner whose heart he sought after. And so think about it right now, and I'm gonna get, we're going to get back to Mexico in a second. Think about it right now. Who is it that's in your life that you argue with about politics? Who is it that's in your life that you argue with about religion? Who is it that's in your life that argue with about sports? I almost wore a Steeler jersey today, but I know Doug wouldn't let me come up here. So, But who is it that... Just insert your blank there. And why did Jesus put them in your life? And are you willing to open your eyes to see that he put them in your life for a reason? Even if it's to be Jesus to them and offer them an ounce of truth. He offered that woman at the well an ounce of truth which convicted her and saved all those people in the town. They brought, they came to Jesus. He stayed there for two days. Don't miss that, folks. He stayed there for two days, which means... This isn't like a, a hit and run, right? Let me tell you about Jesus, I'm out. No, he stayed and talked to them for two days. He showed that, that life and belief and showing people about God is about community. He didn't run. He didn't go anywhere. He stayed there for two days. And we have the opportunity to be in community. We have opportunity to invite other people to the community of belief, to the community of life. We have that opportunity. Did we speak truth in love into their lives? So when I argue with, with people about politics or argue with them about sports or religion or whatever, did I speak truth in love? Jesus sought out sinners and the whole region, uh, one sinner's heart and the whole region came to believe. That's a God-sized story. Jesus is after people's hearts and we ought to be also, uh, I skipped over a couple of things that are on your bulletin. I encourage you to read them. Um, I want to I share with you a practical way, and then can we put that last slide up, about how to love people in truth, same way Jesus did. He ignored all of that other noise. He ignored all of the distractions of being thirsty, of being hungry, of the religious issues, of the national issues of the fact that he shouldn't be talking to this woman at the well, he ignored all, that, all those things and talked to her about God. And the way that, I, the way that I've found that works the best, and this is, this is me, is how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? Believers, unbelievers, anybody, I, I've only had maybe one or two people lifetime, lifetime say, no, I'm good, thanks. Most everybody will tell you, Oh, you can pray for my family, or you know, you can pray for my job, or you can pray for my mom who has cancer, my mom who has Alzheimer's, or, or this or that, and then all of a sudden you, they come, somehow they come back and find you, and they're like, you'll never believe what happened. I'll be like, yes, I will, because I believe in God. 
oh, a cancer's healed, or this is done, and, and, and we get to see that, and we are his witnesses, as it tells us in Acts. We are his witnesses to what God is doing. How can I pray for you? That is a very simple and easy way that we can engage with people and invite them and challenge them because we're not getting into the discussion about religion and politics. We're going to challenge them that that doesn't matter, that we're going to talk to you about something that's way more important, this living water. Um, this, this picture <clears throat> was not part of this this morning. Um, what you'll see here is, uh, as Jesse will tell us, hermano right here, Camillo. And you see him, he's all wet. Camillo started a church in his house in November, maybe October-ish last year. Today, this morning, these five people got baptized because of what he did in his house. Because he invited people to be a part of it. Because he's inviting his community to come and be a part of this truth and to be a part of this life. He's saying, I know what you need. You need Jesus. And he's willing to give up his, his house and his family and his last 200 pesos to help his community. And five people today got baptized. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And so when we're passionate about Mexico and we talk about Mexico and we talk about going down and having fellowship with, with Camillo and, and time with him and his family and time with the people in the area... And the reason that I'm, that, that I'm so excited and passionate about is because of this. He is reaching the people in his community. He is showing them how to live. He is literally in the middle of darkness being a shining light for Jesus. Because that's what he's called to be. And that's what we can do. And it doesn't seem like, it, it seems like we need to have all of these things. No, he just started inviting people to his house. He started inviting them to the community of believers and said, I'm just going to share with you truth. I know you have all these things going on. I know that we're all poor. I know that we all have issues with the government. Oh, we all have issues with, with family and kids. He said, nope, just come on. We're going to talk to you about Jesus. And five people today got baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so if you want to come and see that community, I invite you to come to Mexico. We're still taking applications. The deadline's next week. You can come to Mexico and you can help us build a house. Jesse's our foreman. He runs the show. And we go down to Mexico and we get to see what God is doing. Don't misunderstand that, that we're just there to, to put some sticks and mortar together for people. No, we were there for a specific purpose. God allowed us to be a part of this five years ago to help build Camillo's house to now be at a place where five people today, this is from Facebook today, people, like this is really, like real time happening, they got baptized, right? And to see that community and to see how it works and to see how to invite people to come to know the Lord because we have to look up and lift up our eyes and see that, the, that it's white for the harvest. We don't have four months, it is white for the harvest right now. And it's, I mean, thank you, Camillo, for working out the white issue <laughs> on the clothing. <laughs> to go along with the message today. But I just, I just, I really want to invite you. I also want to challenge you. Some people don't have enough time. Some people don't have enough money. Some people don't have passports yet. All those things can be worked out. And I want to invite you to come down and see what God's doing in Mexico because it will, it will change your heart and change your life. It really will. So if you're called to do that, if you're called to do that, please come join us. We would love to have you. I'm going to invite uh, the families up. Um, Thank you.
that are going to help us with communion. And, and I'm going to talk to you about that. Um, we're just going to roll into it. <laughs> I, killed up, I killed too much time, sorry. Um, so we're going we're gonna to do communion. But as we're doing that, I want to say uh, we had the opportunity when we were in Mexico in, in Camilo's house and his family and his church to, to, to bring the elements of, of communion, which are grape juice and crackers, and have communion for the first time in his house with his church, with, which is our family. Remember I said we are one body, right? That Jesus flattened the temples and said, we're one body. He invited us to be a part of that. We got to be a part of the first communion that uh, they, they had in their house and the first celebration at Christ, uh, at the table with Christ because of what he did, celebrating the broken body and the blood that was shed for us. And so I'm going to invite all of you, and if you haven't been here before, it's real simple. You get in line, you come up, and, and we're going to pray with your whole family, and we're going to have communion. We invite everybody to be a part of that. Um, but it's really amazing to sit at the table with Christ and experience His grace through the moment of communion. And so as we're thinking about communion, as, as we have communion today, I want to think about the people that were baptized. I want to think about the communion that we had to, got to share at Camillo's house and recognize that our brothers and sisters in Christ are rejoicing and celebrating today because they looked up and saw that the harvest is white. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the richness and the history of your word. We thank you that you have called us to follow you. And that just like at the woman at the well, just like uh, the disciples, that we leave everything right there and we follow you, and we follow your will. And Lord, as we prepare for this time of communion, we just pray, God, that your will would be done, that you would empty us and allow us to be humble like you were for us, to show us that example, and to turn the conversation, literally turning that into an act of repentance. God, we just thank you. We praise you. We pray for Camilo and, and the brothers and sisters in Christ down there in Mexico. We pray for their the church that you have uh, working right there. We pray for those, those souls that were saved today, Lord. We pray for protection over them. And we just thank you, God, that we can celebrate with you. The angels are singing today, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.